All right, good to be back with you. And uh, been here on Sunday night lessons for a while, but it's uh, my turn again. Uh, welcome to Sojourners, by the way. They appeared while I was gone this morning, so happy to see some of them again. On Sunday nights, uh, you can figure a little bit out from the handout, but we're calling it Training with the Twelve. Our philosophy is if we followed the Twelve through their couple of years with Jesus, it probably wasn't much more than two years, actually, and see what they saw, what they observed, what Jesus told them since he was preparing them uh, to start the church. Uh, maybe we can learn something about what we ought to do to maintain the kingdom and continue to grow it. So that's where we've been looking at is what has, what's Jesus taught the twelve, and if we were the thirteenth apostle, what would we learn from it? Uh, we've tackled six topics so far, and tonight I'm starting the seventh topic, calling it Dealing with People. Uh, we're actually expanding our scripture uh, availability a little bit here. Before, we've been looking specifically when Jesus had the apostles with him and they saw him do something. Uh, on this one, when Jesus dealt with people, uh, he would dealt with people all of his life. Uh, he did that from uh, age 12 on that we know of. Uh, so some, some of this in here, the apostles weren't particularly there. Um, most of them, they probably were around, but uh, we're going to look at all that we can find and see if we can learn something about how Jesus dealt with people. Now, Toby's been talking on Sunday morning, a new series about uh, walking as Jesus walked. He's studying the Sermon on the Mount, but that's the basis of it. Uh, this is a kind of a similar thing, but a little different topic. I picked a couple of verses out here for you that might set the stage a little bit. First uh, Peter 2.21, uh, and it's interesting here, Peter's talking to slaves. He's not talking to uh, folks like us that have it made and independence and freedom and all of that. He's talking to slaves who sometimes were abused by their masters. And he said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So he told slaves, well, you just do what Jesus did. Follow him, follow in his steps. Uh, Paul used the same concept in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He told the people in Corinth, he said, you follow my example as I follow Christ. Of course, they didn't have everything written down yet, so their picture of Christ was Paul. He said, you follow me as I follow Christ. So that concept of walking as Jesus walked, following in his steps, uh, would make a great book. In fact, you could probably have a bestseller if you could write a book about that. Uh, of course, somebody already beat you to it. In 1896, Charles Sheldon wrote uh, one of the best-selling books of all time and still a bestseller. He called it In His Steps. Uh, it was actually a sermon series. I don't know how many of you knew that, but uh, he was a preacher and uh, had trouble getting people to come on Sunday nights. Back in 1896, can you believe it? Anyhow, he had trouble with that, so he wrote a fictional uh, series, and it was a 
to be continued kind of series. So every Sunday night he had preached part of it, and then it would end in kind of a cliffhanger. You'd wonder what the guy was going to do in this situation, so you had to come back next Sunday night to find out. Uh, so that was how Mr. Sheldon did it and wrote a new chapter every week and uh, carried on for quite a while. I don't know if his attendance increased or not, but uh, he wrote a great book that's still very, very popular. And the concept of it was that a congregation took a pledge to everything they did every day in any situation, whatever it was, they would do it like Jesus would have done it. They would follow in his steps. And, of course, immediately they get into all sorts of uh, dilemmas and questions and whether Jesus would do that or this. And uh, Great little book. Anyhow, that's what we're doing in this series is we're going to try to walk in Jesus' steps, see how he dealt with people. Now, question. Uh, and since there's a lot of clues on the handout here, you can probably guess, right? What would you say is the hardest part of life? My answer is people. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of hard things in life. And I know some of you are thinking, well, life would be horrible without people. Well, yeah, it's probably the best part of life, too. But the hardest part of life is people. Uh, dealing with all the kinds of people that have, we have to deal with. Uh, most of you know I was in the business world for most of my life, and had a number of people, supervisors, report to me, and uh, sometimes one of them, supervisor, manager, or somebody would come in, and they had a real problem with somebody that worked for them. And they'd start in whining and crying about how hard this was and what a mess this was and this just wasn't fair and on and on. And my usual comeback line was that, you know, management would be really easy if it wasn't for people. And most of them would figure it out pretty quickly. Well, that's what management is. It's dealing with people. And that's the hard part. You know, if people were easy and always did the right thing, you wouldn't need much management. <laughs> you just say, go do it. But people don't. Uh, people are a problem a lot of the times. I put a blank there for you to write down some of the kind of people that you deal with, and you'll see that it pretty quickly falls into two lists. Well, there's, I know, all sorts of nice people and kind people and gentle people and helpful people and uh, honest people. But then you start thinking about the other kind of people you run into and have to deal with, the ones that aren't so honest or so nice, and they're arrogant, and they're, uh, they're bitter, and they're self-centered. Um, you could go off into some other areas. We, we deal with needy people, have all kinds of needs. Uh, poor people have physical needs. Uh, we deal with unbelievers, deal with pessimistic people. I mean, obviously the list could go on and on and on. Well, if we do, Jesus dealt with those kind of folks too. So maybe we can get some clues in this short little series about how to deal with all of the kinds of people we run into. Uh, the original study on this, I did, uh, I can't remember how many years ago, but I just got the idea one time that if I read the Gospels, 
that way, looking for specific people, uh, kinds of people, groups of people, whatever, and categorized it, I might learn something. Uh, so I did that study, read through the Gospels, and every time it said Jesus spoke to the multitudes or to the apostles or to the rich young ruler or to anybody, I wrote that on a piece of paper and had eventually categories evolved. And it wasn't nice and honest and dishonest and arrogant and all that. It was a little smaller list than I thought I might find. Uh, most often, or a lot of the time, it was just the multitude. It said, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, so-and-so. Um, from that, I separated out a group called the potential followers. Not just the multitude in general, but the ones that got close enough to start asking him questions. and Maybe they would become a follower and maybe they wouldn't. And from there, I evolved a number of other groups, and we'll go through those in the weeks ahead. Uh, but next week, probably, we'll start with the multitudes and the, the prospective followers. So anyhow, that's where it came from, and it was I thought of, I learned some things that never would have occurred to me before when I had it all categorized like that and saw what Jesus did. So I've kind of uh, compacted that study and... Uh, enhanced it a little bit for this one, but I think it's a good lesson for us. So before we get to people, since people are the hardest thing to deal with, I thought maybe we better prep ourselves a little bit, because as you go through the Gospels, you find that Jesus not only dealt with people, but he spent a lot of time dealing with somebody else. That wasn't people. Uh, he spent a lot of time talking to the Father and dealing with the Father. So I thought that's where we'd start tonight and uh, kind of set the stage for learning about people next week. So how did Jesus deal with God? And the easy answer is, well, he prayed. You know, most of us would say, oh, he prayed a lot. But let's go through it a little finer and see what we can learn here. Uh, the first little section I got, I number, we won't read all these verses by any means. Uh, you can go home and look them up. In fact, it's a excellent exercise to go home and read them because sometimes you read the context around them and sometimes I gave you a little more verses and once you see the whole scene, uh, it means more to you. So go home and read through these and reinforce your study. Matthew 14.23, uh, it says that he just went out from the apostles. He went to a secretive place and he prayed. And he was alone, and he ended up praying all night. Mark one thirty five says that he got up very early in the morning one time and went off from the apostles. He was alone, went away very early in the morning. Luke 5.16 said that he often prayed alone. This wasn't a one or two time event. Now, he did this all the time. Luke 6.12, I'm going to read that one if you want to turn to that. Fine. Um, interesting situation. It says, one of those days, and it was after uh, some of his Sabbath events where he got in trouble for the Sabbath and all that. 
it says one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Okay, so we'll find as we go through this that he had multitudes and then he had prospective followers and then he had followers, disciples. Big bunch of people followed him around. And this time, he just, it was time for him to select his 12 special messengers. Um, so he prepared for that by going out to a mountainside, prayed all night, praying to God. Like we talked about that the first week or two in this study. But he prayed all night, and he and God and the Holy Spirit discussed which 12 to pick. That's the way it's worded. And then he went back down the mountainside, found all the disciples, called them to him, and said, you, 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 you 12, come here. We got a big job ahead. And made them the official apostles. But the the point there is how he prepared for one of the biggest decisions uh, ever made. Prayed all night. Luke 11, 1, the disciples... Ask him, teach us to pray. Obviously, they'd been paying attention a little bit. Uh, Probably not as much as we'd think they ought to, but after quite a while, they finally said, why don't you teach us to pray? Okay, so if you summarize those five verses I picked out, and you can find a lot more, but that's five good ones. How I would say he dealt with God is he talked to the Father so much that people noticed. They paid attention. Now, if we just stop there, remember what we're doing here. We're not just learning Jesus facts so we can pass a Bible bowl. We're trying to walk in his steps. We're trying to see what he taught the apostles. So if that's the only five verses we had, and we decided we wanted to walk in his steps, what would be the suggested action? Pray so much and so often that people notice. People know you're a person of prayer. And that would be literally following in his steps. Okay, second little group of verses I picked out is the content of some of these prayers. Um, Mark 6.41 says he gave thanks. And this was when he was feeding the 5,000 people before he handed the food out to them, which probably didn't look very uh, thankable at that time because it was just a couple little baskets. Uh, But he thanked God for it out loud in their presence and then passed it around and they just kept passing and the fish and the bread didn't run out, just kept coming. Uh, John 11, I'm going to look that one up if you want to look it up with me. Gives us an interesting, some interesting detail. Uh, John 11. Okay, Lazarus had died. You know the story. Jesus showed up late, and Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, and all of that. Uh, verse 41. 
Jesus told them to take away the stone, and so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, I wish John would have given a better description there, and I knew exactly how the tone of his voice, the volume of his voice, and everything else. I assume he said it all loud enough that everybody could hear him. I mean, of course, they were all in shock still (laughs) that Lazarus had come out. Uh, And in the midst of them being shocked and Lazarus getting unwrapped and all that, Jesus looked up and said, Thank you, Father. He said, Now, I knew knew you were going to hear me. I knew you were going to give me what I asked for. But I, I say this so they'll know that I didn't do this. You did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I asked you for it. You and the Spirit empowered Lazarus to come back to life, and I thank you for that. Okay. Mark fourteen thirty six in the garden, the most intense prayer perhaps that he ever prayed or that anyone ever prayed. He fell to the ground. He sweat as it were, great drops of blood, and he specifically asked God to change things. Okay. He knew what the plan was. He knew better than we do sometimes what the plan is. But it was so bad, it was so unthinkable, it was so fearsome that he asked God to change it. He said, God, I know this is what we discussed before eternity. But now that it's here, I don't want to do it. Now that it's time, this doesn't seem like a good idea to me. In fact, if you can come up with anything else, that'd be better. Okay. See, he wasn't worried about the nails and all that. There a lot of martyrs get killed worse than he did, and they died singing praises. That wasn't the problem. He knew he was going to be separated from God. The Father was going to forsake him because of sin. He said, I don't want to do this. So the the deal was, the thing we can learn, is that he specifically asked God to change things. Now, when God said, no, I'm not going to change them, then what did Jesus do? He said, okay, okay, I'll submit. If that's your will, if this is the only way to get it done, then I'll go along with it. Okay, so in those three little verses, how did Jesus deal with God? He dealt with him like a father. He asked him for what he wanted. We studied the Holy Spirit long enough and enough times that you remember that part it wasn't like Jesus went around just healing people and doing this. He did it. He knew he did it through the power of the Spirit, and he asked God to let the Spirit do it. So he had to ask for things. If he had had the power to do everything like that, if he had had God's divine power still that he laid aside some way, 
He wouldn't have had to ask, but he asked for what he wanted. I want Lazarus alive. I want these little fish and bread to feed all these people. So he asked for what he wanted. When he got it, he gave thanks. When he didn't get it, he submitted. Three pretty good little rules for prayer, isn't it? That's probably a little easier to follow in his steps on, except to the when it comes to the submitting part, that's hard. We ask for what we want a whole lot. Maybe we ought to do a little more giving thanks. It's hard to remember that, though. You know, once we get what we want, we're, we're kind of past it and... Especially as a congregation, and I'm not picking on our public prayers or what we pray for because the nature of a group of thousand people is that we've always got crises going on. So, So we pray for what's on our heart right now, and once they get healed, well, we're on to the next crisis. If we could... I don't know how we could, but maybe we ought to spend as much time thanking God for what he's given us. And we do that sometimes. But it's just hard in a group like this because there's so many things we always need to pray for. But Jesus' model, if we're going to walk in his steps, was ask for what you want, give thanks when you get it, and submit to his will when you don't get it. Okay, Mark fifteen thirty four. This is a one-verse topic here. Uh, something he said on the cross. He said, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? And uh, we read through that kind of quick and don't think a whole lot of it, perhaps. But number one, it tells us how horrible it was for him to be separated from God for the first time. But uh, the summary of that, or the, the lesson of it, is that he questioned God. Why did you do this? And once again, he understood the plan, all of that, but he still questioned God. If you were here a few years ago, we went through a couple of different times on Sunday evenings, uh, the faithful following the faithful, or forget what we call it. Uh, Anyhow, faith followers or something like that. Uh, All the great characters we looked at, how many of them questioned God? I mean, argued with him, accused him of this isn't right. Almost all of them. Uh, We somehow think that's wrong, that we can't do that. Well, the heroes of faith did it. Moses repeatedly, and he was a man that saw God face to face. He was tight with him. And he said, God, how did you get me in this mess? You know, you sent me down here. Now look what's happening. You know, God said, I'll take care of it. Plagues are coming. Don't worry about it. Remember, Moses got, the, there was a, like a coup d'etat. The people said, Moses, get out of here. You're driving us crazy. You're getting us more work. Moses didn't know that was going to happen. I think he thought he was probably going to march in and tell Pharaoh to let them go, and off they'd go. 
But it didn't. He just got made it worse for his people. And Moses went and talked to God and said, God, this is a bad deal. People hate me. You know, why'd you get me in this mess? Okay. So all the great heroes of faith, including the Son of God, questioned God at one point or another. Now, ultimately, they submitted to his will. Ultimately, they saw the answer, most of them. Some of them didn't get to see it, but most of them did. All right, last one, another interesting one, how Jesus dealt with God in prayer. Luke twenty-three thirty-four. on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He looked out over this motley crowd that was abusing him and taunting him and murdering him and said, Father, forgive them. Now, once again, we read that and we think, well, that's what the Son of God would do. (laughs) That's that's a Jesus thing. Well, it's different if we're supposed to follow in his steps. So he said, Father, forgive them. He interceded for others. Now, if you just leave it at that part, it doesn't sound too bad. Intercede for others. You ever pray for other people? Hopefully we all do. Or something specific. I mean, Brother Charles has prayed for a bunch of other people. We want those people's tests to come out right. We want the doctor to do the right thing. We want Josh's heart to come available. We want all that. And so we intercede for them. What's Jesus doing? Are these people he's interceding for, do they deserve forgiveness? Have any of them done anything to show some fruit of repentance? Any of them look sorrowful? Any of them looking like, boy, we shouldn't be doing this. I bet there were a few. The, the centurion was probably kind of wavering about this point. He was probably thinking, I don't know how I got in this deal. This guy's different. But anyway, in general, the crowd he was talking about was absolutely unrepentant, absolutely thrilled that the fun they were having with Jesus and he looks down and says, Father, forgive them. Whew. There's a hard one. Yeah, don't follow any steps. That one made it a little tougher all of a sudden. Anyhow, put all those together. Very short study of how Jesus dealt with God, how he prayed, what he did, what he asked for, how he reacted, things he prayed for. Now, final question, what's the 13th apostle learned from all that? That's you, by the way. (laughs) What the 12 learned from it, I'm sure, was one thing and maybe 12 different things. I don't know. But what do we learn from it? You know, if Peter told us we're supposed to follow his example, walk in his steps, if Paul said we're supposed to follow his example, then we look at how he prayed with God, how he talked to God. Uh, maybe there's something we should have learned there. So hopefully that uh, helps us on the right track and 
My, my guess is if we just jumped right into trying to deal with people without understanding this part, it'd be a little more difficult to walk in his steps. Maybe we better talk to God a little bit about people sometimes. All right, the lesson is yours. We've got some uh, activities planned afterwards, so I'm going to wrap up things a little bit early. Next week we'll talk about the multitudes and the prospective followers in those multitudes. And I think you will be surprised how Jesus dealt with them. That was one of the surprises to me was how he dealt with multitudes. So we'll tackle that next week. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation or uh, have any needs of this family while we're here, we're happy to hear what that is and pray with you. If you have anything on your heart you need to come, come to the front while we stand and sing.